Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another 15-minute devotional. Uh, this is an online video and podcast series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. And for any onlookers and Facebook and YouTube lookers to and listeners to Melvin Gaines' Faith Channel, we appreciate you being here. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to encourage viewers to and listeners to get into God's Word by staying in it with consistency as you learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what this series is all about. In this program, we're going to be covering the daily reading for Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. That's June 7th, 2023. Our church encourages participation in the two-year Bible reading plan, which allows for the reader to cover the entire Bible over a two-year period. In our devotional here, our program presents the passages for this day, and then we make some verbal notes about the content as we go. Now, when you follow the two-year Bible reading plan, it normally takes about a seven to ten minute period of time of Bible reading, followed by what we would have you do as the last five to eight minutes of time of reflection and prayer. Uh, and that's what the devotional time consists of. That's why we refer to it as the 15-minute devotional. We encourage all participants to follow this pattern as they develop the best habits for reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. Now, of course, you're not limited to reading just uh, 10 minutes a day. You can read much longer than that if you want to. But for those of us who have time constraints, the 15-minute devotional helps establish good habits every day. Now, in this particular reading for June the 7th, the passages are very interesting because there's a little bit of fragmentation taking place here, but we're going to be covering today Numbers chapter 30, verse 1, to verse uh, chapter 31, verse 24, Luke chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 23, uh, and I'll explain that later because that's not that's a little bit outside the plan, and we're going to go all the way through Luke 4:13, then Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, and then Proverbs 16:24. So that's the passages. Those are the passages we're going to be looking at today. And so bear with me as we go through this because it's going to seem like it's jumping around, but it's not. I'm only merely following the order that the uh, reading uh, reflects upon, and that's just the way this, the passages are broken up for today. So let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given to us to now stop and reflect upon your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that provides enlightenment and gives us exactly what we need to be able to determine and decipher exactly what you're trying to say to us. Bless this time, Lord, and bless us as we reflect upon your word. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing I do want to point out to you before we get started with the reading, it's really, really important for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to be in the word every day. And that's why we give emphasis to this plan and give emphasis to doing the reading and even taking the step further of just taking us through these readings uh, one week at a time. You Obviously, there's other readings during the week that you'll be going through. But just to emphasize, we have a lot of people who don't know the word of Jesus Christ. They don't know the Bible. And we want to make sure that people see that this is nothing that should be difficult to do. If we're staying in, in the word every day and being consistent with it, we're going to be very successful at hearing God speak to us at different times and different moments in our lives. 
Okay, let's turn our Bibles and electronic devices now to Numbers 30. And let's start with verse 1. Numbers 30, verse 1. And what you're going to find in Numbers chapter 30 is going to be more of the information about taking vows. And then in chapter 31, it moves on to the uh, uh, taking judgment now against the Midianites. So you'll see how the fragment of that is, but that's exactly the order we're following. So let's start with Numbers chapter 30, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, a very readable translation. Please follow along in your own version. Uh, verse 1, Then Moses summoned the leaders of the tribes of Israel and told them, This is what the Lord has commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Verse 3, If a young woman makes a vow to the Lord or a pledge under oath while she is still living at her father's home, and her father hears of the vow or pledge and does not object to it, then all her vows and pledges will stand. But if her father refuses to let her fulfill the vow or pledge on the day he hears of it, then all her vows and pledges will become invalid. The Lord will forgive her because her father would not let her fulfill them. Verse 6. Now suppose a young woman makes a vow or binds herself with an impulsive pledge and later marries. If her husband learns of her vow or pledge and does not object on the day he hears of it, her vows and pledges will stand. But if her husband refuses to accept her vow or impulsive pledge on the day on the day he hears of it, he nullifies her commitments and the Lord will forgive her. If, however, a woman is a widow or is divorced, she must fulfill all her vows and pledges. Verse 10. But suppose a woman is married and living in her husband's home when she makes a vow or binds herself with a pledge. If her husband hears of it and does not object to it, her vow or pledge will stand. But if her husband refuses to accept it on the day he hears of it, her vow or pledge will be nullified and the Lord will forgive her. So her husband may either confirm or nullify any vows or pledges she makes to deny herself. But if he does not object on the day he hears of it, then he is agreeing to all her vows and pledges. If he waits more than a day and then tries to nullify a vow or a pledge, he will be punished for her guilt. These are the regulations the Lord gave Moses concerning relationships between a man and his wife and between a father and a young daughter who still lives at home. So what we have to look at here very quickly, and because there's so much material to get through today, and I want to make sure that I'm as brief as possible. Essentially, when we talk about making a vow, we want to make sure that people are, are standing on their word, meaning what they say. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And that's true even today when it comes to how we speak out sometimes or say things, perhaps even to please other people, uh, to, to get into their favor. We need to make sure that we're always standing on the word because the Lord is standing behind us to make sure that we are fulfilling the very things that we need to do uh, according to being obedient to his word, following him, and making sure that if you're going to make a vow of some sort, you better stand behind it and mean it. Now, this law was put forth in the households because you notice that the husband or the father is the head of the household, namely the wife or the daughter. And if the if the daughter or the wife does, uh, makes a vow or some sort of a pledge, the husband or the father has the right to um, disengage from that pledge and say that it's not a valid pledge and, that, and cannot do so. 
And you have to understand something. The Lord took this very seriously because there was sin involved if you were not able to keep a vow. And notice how it says in some parts of the passage, the sin would be forgiven. The, that vow would be forgiven. It would, not be, uh, it would not be held against the individual making the vow. And what does that really mean when we get right down to it? When we talk about making a confession of faith for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you take a look at what it says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, very interesting passage to make a comparison here with. It says in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You're making a verbal commitment as well, too. You're making a statement saying that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a vow that is going to be accepted and allowed because it means that you'll have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But we often sometimes you know, wonder, are some people saved? Are some people saved? Well, only God knows the answer to that question. But if you make that vow and take the vow according to what it says in Romans 10, Verses 9 and 10, you are saved. And that's very important for us to see here. Stand behind your word and make sure that you're saying the things necessary to be said. And stand behind them. All right, let's go to Numbers 31, verse 1. This is the section that talks about vengeance or judgment of Midian. And we'll go into that in more detail as we read through the passage. Uh, Numbers 31, we're going to take this from 1 to 24. Verse 1, Numbers 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, on behalf of the people of Israel... Take revenge on the Midianites for leading them into idolatry. After that, you will die and join your ancestors. So Moses said to the people, Choose some men and arm them to fight the Lord's war of revenge against Midian. From each tribe of Israel, send 1,000 men into battle. So they chose 1,000 men from each tribe of Israel, a total of 12,000 men armed for battle. Then Moses sent them out, 1,000 men from each tribe, and Phinehas, Son of Eliezer, the priest, led them into battle. They carried along the holy objects of the sanctuary and the trumpets for sounding the charge. They attacked Midian as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed all the men, all five of the Midianite kings, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, died in the battle. They also killed Balaam, Balaam, excuse me, son of Beor, with the sword. Verse 9. Then the Israelite army captured the Midianite women and children and seized their cattle and flocks and all their wealth as plunder. Verse 10, then they burned, they burned, out, burned all the towns and villages where the Midianites had lived. After they had gathered the plunder and captives, both people and animals, they brought them to all to Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and the, to the whole community of Israel, which was camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Moses, Eliezer the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was furious with all the generals and captains who had returned from the battle. Why have you let all the women live, he demanded. Verse 16, these are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel, rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. So kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with a man. Only the young girls who are virgins may live. You may keep them for yourselves. And all of you who have, who have killed anyone or touched a dead body must stay outside the camp for seven days. You must purify yourselves and your captives 
on the third and seventh days. Verse 20, purify all your clothing too and, make, and everything made of leather, goat hair or wood. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men who were in the battle, the Lord has given Moses this legal requirement. Anything made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin or lead, that is all metals that do not burn, must be passed through fire in order to be made ceremonially pure. These metal objects must then be further purified with the water of purification, but everything that burns must be purified by the water alone. On the seventh day, you must wash your clothes and be purified, and then you may return to the camp. Okay, that's Numbers 31, verses 1 uh, through 24. And that's where we end for this particular area. Now, interesting, we're going from making vows, now talking about the vengeance against the Midianites. The Midianites were the ones who had joined uh, with the Moabites in hiring Balaam to curse Israel and afterwards seduce the people to idolatry and just living in such a manner that was uh, completely inappropriate to God. Um, and of course, if you remember back in Numbers 25, reading that section, there was only one woman named in the seduction of the uh, Israelites, and that was Kozbi. Um That was in Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 through 16. And so it was determined from those actions and how, frankly, uh, there, there was a, a, a plague that had taken place because the people were evil and going the way and following uh, the way of the Midianites. Um, fortunately, it was up to um, the... Uh, it says in Numbers 25 verses 17 through 18 attack the Midianites and destroy them because they assaulted you with deceit and tricked you into worshipping Baal of Peor and because of Kozbi the daughter of a Midianite leader who was killed at the time of the play because of what happened to Peor well the, if we want to talk about who the Midianites are it's a great comparison frankly to the ways of the world the people who are living in the world uh, people who are not following God there is a separation that these people have had had from the, uh, the Lord they clearly did not want to follow the Lord or be obedient to him and the Israelites were very foolish in falling into uh, the trap of allowing the Midianites to do what they had accomplished and note that further on the, uh, the Israelites did not lose anyone to war in this particular battle they, all the men, uh, all the Midian men were killed. They allowed those women, though, to live. And that's when Moses got angry with them. And it's like, why would you allow something like that to happen? But that's the whole problem with being in the world, isn't it? That's the whole problem with worldliness. If you are exposed, you're thinking, well, these women, they haven't done anything. But those are the very women who got people enticed to leave and not follow God. And so that was the lesson that we need to, to make sure that we are paying attention to here. Who are you listening to? Who are you paying attention to? Are you following the world's calling or are you following what the Lord would have you to do? Um, believers need to make sure that they are doing everything they can to focus on what God's word is saying and not paying attention to those distractions in the world that are out there. And there are plenty of distractions out there. Amen. Um, my, my lovely bride and I are on a retreat right now. And one of the reasons why we're on a retreat and we're in a place where just away from uh, a lot of the hustle and bustle. There's no TV here. It's just a matter of us being in the Word, being uh, listening to music, that type of thing. And it's a good way to get away. Every now and then it's a good thing to do. 
But we need to make sure we're paying attention to the fact that the world has nothing good uh, for us. It really is all about believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we as believers are called to do. And I'm just going to say it here right now. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are, uh, do not have a relationship with him, um, now's the time to make a decision for Jesus. Just like we had talked about in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you believe it in your heart uh, and you speak it with your mouth um, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple. Uh, for some of us, though, it's very, very difficult because we just don't want to make that commitment. I pray that the Spirit speaks to you, that you make that commitment today and make it right away. Amen. All right, let's go now to Luke chapter 3. This is a very interesting passage as well, too, because if you were to follow normally the uh, two-year Bible plan, it would normally start you uh, off at um, Luke chapter 3, verse 29. But for the sake of continuity, I want to start with verse 23 because... It's actually the beginning of the section in Luke that talks about the the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's another place where the genealogy of Christ is mentioned, and that's in Matthew. But I'll make a point about that as we get further into this reading. But we're going to cover a lot of ground here. So stay with me. Luke chapter 23 to chapter 3, verse 23, excuse me, to uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Let's start with Luke 23, chapter 3, verse 23. Take a deep breath. (laughs) Okay. Verse 23. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Remember that, please. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Melchi. Melchi was the son of Janai. Janai was the son of Joseph. Verse 25, Joseph was the son of Mattathias. Mattathias was the son of Amos. Amos was the son of Nahum. Nahum was the son of Esli. Esli. Esli was the son of Nagai. Nagai was the son of Moth. Moth was the son of Mattathias. Mattathias was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jodah. Verse 27, Jodah was the son of Joanan. Joanan was the son of Eresa. Eresa was the son of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the son of Sheltiel. Sheltiel was the son of Neri. Neri was the son of Melchi. Melchi was the son of Adai. Adai was the son of Kosum. Kosum was the son of Elmadun. Elmadum. Elmadum was the son of Ur. Ur was the son of Joshua. Joshua was the son of Eliezer. Eliezer was the son of Joram. Joram was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jonam. Jonam was the son of Eliakim. Eliakim was the son of Melie. Melie was the son of Mena. Mena was the son of Mattatha. Mattatha was the son of Nathan. Nathan was the son of David. Verse 32. David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was the son of Obed. Obed was the son of Boaz. Boaz was the son of Salmon. Salmon was the son of Nashon. Verse 33, Nashon was the son of Amminadab. Amminadab was the son of Admin. Admin was the son of Arni. Arni, Arni, excuse me. Arni was the son of Hezron. Hezron was the son of Perez. 
Perez was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah was the son of Nahor. Verse 35, Nahor was the son of Serug. Serug was the son of Ru. Ru was the son of Peleg. Peleg was the son of Eber. Eber was the son of Shelah. Shelah was the son of Canaan. Canaan was the son of Arphaxad. Arphaxad was the son of Shem. Shem was the son of Noah. Noah was the son of Lamech. Lamech was the son of Methuselah. Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Enoch was the son of Jared. Jared was the son of Mahalel. Mahalel was the son of Kenan. Verse 38, Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. Amen. Now, hopefully, uh, I, got through, I got through that with most of the pronunciations correct. Um, and I'm just going to mention very quickly about this genealogy. The genealogy that we also see in Matthew's gospel. Um, it, Matthew's genealogy starts with Abraham and goes forward closer to the present. And, and, but Luke goes backwards. He goes in reverse order. And he goes back from David and back to Adam. Now understand that Luke is, what he is doing is he is making sure that he is giving Mary's story involved here. Clearly her genealogy is involved with here too. Um, and what Matthew did, he was following the kingship aspect of it too. Because we know that Jesus was not the true son of Joseph. If you go back at the top here, it says at verse 1, just as a reminder, just to give you the reminder here. Um, uh, pardon, not verse 1, excuse me, verse 23. I went too far. One second here. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph, but we know that he truly was the son of God, of course. But according to the dictation here, he, of course, was known as the son of Joseph because that's how he lived his life. He went around and he was with Joseph and Mary and he was a child raised by Joseph and Mary. And so that's how he was known. But we recognize that um, when Matthew did his genealogy, he was referring to the kingship of Jesus. But um, here we want to make sure that the proper order was given. Uh, both people, both Luke and Matthew's genealogies are correct. There's nothing wrong with what either one of them are saying. They're just making a different position because of it. And we have to recognize that um, the legal title, and we're talking about also the God's throneship, the kingship as well too, right? Um, and so Jesus' blood title to the throne of David came through her, through Mary, Mary's story, uh, going back through her. So that's what the reference is being made to here. And, you know, hopefully when you're reading a genealogy that you're not like skipping over lines and fast forwarding or even taking this recording and saying, well, I don't want to hear all this genealogy stuff. I want to move on. You have to understand something here. How do we prove that Jesus Christ truly is the son of God and he has been chosen by God to be the one who is in the position to uh, handle, frankly, sit at his very right hand right now. And that's because there, there's a definite order that was taking place through all these different, through all this lineage, through all the different, um, the ways things have been orchestrated. And we're talking about the people involved with this. Um, we have to see that this was done in the, in the very order that God had determined. And so we don't skip over this. We just go over it and then we read the studies and understand that this Jesus Christ, 
uh, even though Adam was the one who was the son of God, as referred to in the passage here, he fell out of grace with God because of his sin. Jesus Christ is now the last Adam, the Adam that indeed is the one who's going to carry forth um, this gospel message for, uh, for the Lord and making sure that those things are being said and done to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is the one that can accomplish because accomplish these things because he is the one who was sacrificed who was without sin. And so we need to understand that too. And God had fulfilled that relationship. Jesus had fulfilled that relationship with God because he believed in the Lord. And just like it was credited to righteousness to Abraham, guess what? Jesus was indeed righteous as well too because of what he had done. All right, let's jump now to Luke chapter 4 and let's finish up this section here. Uh, verses 1 through 13, a very important part of the scripture, amen? Looking at the temptation of Jesus. Um, spend some time on your own looking at this uh, particular section. It's very, very interesting. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God. And serve only him. Verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. And said. If you are the son of God. Jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Verse 12. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus. He left him until the next opportunity came. So understand that there is a threefold way of being tempted here. Um, of course, Jesus was hungry at the time, and so he had talked about turning the stones into bread. And of course, Jesus responded immediately by saying, man should not live by bread alone. Then Satan offered the nations of the world. Um, that's about political influence, power, that type of thing. Um, and Satan does have control over the nations of the world. This is his domain. In that way, he was actually being truthful about what he had authority over. And essentially, God allowed him to have authority over the nations of the world. But we have to understand that um, these kingdoms of the world cannot surpass the kingdom of God. Um, and if you're not born again, you can't be a child of God. You can't see the kingdom of God. So when Jesus responded that you only worship the Lord your God and serve him in Matthew 4.10, you just keep moving forward and, and just focus on what's really important, looking upward, not outward, looking upward, looking at Jesus Christ, looking at what his role is as far as um, what it means for the sake of the kingdom. He has given you the keys to the kingdom because you believe and trust in him. But that's only if you believe and trust in him. And the final temptation that Satan made here was about Jesus was um, trying to get him to just uh, go outside of the way of really being obedient to the Lord. 
and that was by trying to get him to ignore the power of God, ignore what was taking place. And in that uh, aspect, he just said, uh, essentially, to he just denied uh, what uh, was being said. He said, "You, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God." That's what he said in verse 12 here, uh, Luke 4, verse 12. And so, the the temptations there were very clear: um, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Um, and and that's exactly what he did. And by the way, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, um, I remember that uh, Dr. David Jeremiah said that there's only one playbook that Satan has. He has just the playbook that he used in the same manner that he tempted Jesus. There's nothing. He doesn't have any power or authority to uh, do anything except to get you or goad you into doing those very things that he asks you to do. And that's exactly why we need to make sure that we are not listening to what Satan says. He is always, when we're being tempted, God is going to give us or enable us to resist that temptation or find a way of escape. That's what his word says. That's his promise. But we just need to be faithful to that promise and listen to what he's saying. Amen. That's very important for us to see here. Okay. Let's move to Psalm. Psalm 63. We're on the home stretch here because I knew this was going to take a little bit more time today just because of the nature of the passages and how they were kind of broken up a little bit, but it's okay because that, it, it helps us to be able to see the depth sometimes that goes into one day's worth of reading. That's fine. Um, it allows you to go back and look over the material and, and, and just pray about what you've been reading. Uh, and that's what this is all about. Psalm 63. This is a special psalm. This is supposed to have been a psalm apparently that was... Um, uh, mentioned where uh, in the early church, I guess they were singing this psalm all the time because it, uh, what it really meant uh, to the fathers uh, that were involved here with uh, uh, music in the churches and, and the public gatherings. And supposedly this was a psalm that was sung in the morning. We're only going to cover the first five verses here. A psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. This is Psalm 63, verse 1. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feasts. I will praise you with songs of joy. Amen. What a what beautiful words uh, that are being shared here. And, of course, David is the one who is the author of this psalm. And he is saying um, he would much rather have fellowship with God rather than uh, eat the finest meal. And he was a king. Um, he's the one who know, knew all about those very things as well, too. But it was much more appealing to him to have a relationship with God, much more appealing to him that he would uh, truly uh, devote himself to the Lord. And we know that David had his faults. David had his ways of doing things. He was disobedient to God several times and wound up uh, repenting and turning back to him each time. And every time he did that, the Lord accepted him. There were consequences to what he had uh, done. No question about that. But at the end of the day, um, he is showing us an example here in this expression of emotion about how we are to go after God. 
I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there's no water. That was verse 1 again. That's the type of emotional approach we should have when it comes to looking for God. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? What do you think that that means when it comes to your relationship with the Lord? Are you searching and longing for his presence? Or are you finding ways to run away from his presence? Uh, That's something to think about, amen? Something to consider. Last passage here is Proverbs 16, verse 24. And again, I want to thank you for your patience that allowed me to get through those passages and the, the genealogy. That was a lot of reading today, and I appreciate you being flexible and hanging with me on that. But let's look at Proverbs 16, 24. It's a very short, sweet verse that we're looking at here. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. Now, the first thing that you think about here is that some people, when they say a kind word, when they say sweet words or or welcoming words, they are appealing. They're great to listen to. They're great to hear. And they're great when you hear them from someone else who is a total stranger, for example, right? And it's really a way that you indeed want to live yourself, right? You want to live in such a manner where you're speaking kind words like honey, sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. And we know by comparison that words that are, are harsh or, or just um, unnecessary, uh, those don't do anything for the soul. If anything, they, they are depressing. We need to make sure that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are always speaking words that are kind. Now, the, and even when we are in the mode of correction, amen, when you're talking to someone or you're giving them uh, a rebuke for something, We still need to do so with kind words. It can be done. I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. You can do be kind even through the areas of correction in someone's life. And and so always keep that in mind. You don't have to use harsh words. Do we get fleshly sometimes with our thinking? Sure we do. But we need to make sure that we correct that thinking and make sure that we're always coming back around in such a manner where we're being polite and kind. It's going to have a better effect on the other individual who's listening to you. And they're more they're more likely to listen to you because you are taking that time. And that you're being polite and kind to them and being respectful to them as well, too. Okay, that's the reading for today, for Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining me today. We appreciate you being here. Uh, stay tuned. We are going to be broadcasting, of course, every Wednesday. Uh, either a devotional or a Bible study. We appreciate you being here. God bless you. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time.